2: Blue wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Villato. Tonight we're going to wrap up day two of the NFL draft. I'm just as fired up about this night as I was about the first because it was a near perfectly executed round two. Followed by a round three that I'm excited about. But yes, the Giants didn't get an offensive lineman. That's the need obviously, but it's not about need. It's not about that in the draft. What they did get is a player who, the more I study, the more I look into, might have just been the best value pick by far on the board for them, and clearly someone who they specifically coveted for their defensive system. Every single one of these evaluators, from Chris Pettit to Joe Judge to Dave Gettleman, said we needed to trade up for him. We wanted to make sure we traded up for Aaron Robinson because we believed he was by far and away the best value on the board. More importantly... As we'll get to in a little bit, the Giants continue to upgrade those wide receiver and cornerback positions, two positions me and Nick are strongly in support of, meaning a lot towards wins and losses in the NFL level. This is a passing league. Doesn't matter what anyone tells you. That's where the games are decided. And even after adding Kenny Galladay, they added Kadarius Toney. Even after adding Adore Jackson, they added Aaron Robinson because they believe in this idea of building this team the right way in my opinion i really am so excited about this where do you want to start nick well actually first let's start a little bit let's back it up a little bit nick all right let's back it up a little bit nick after last night you consumed what about eight boneless buffalo wings sauced up you did not indulge in the blue cheese so you didn't have those calories added on how'd you follow up a really poor eating day yesterday how did you follow that one up
3: i've hardly eaten or slept to be honest and it's not really by design it's just uh, i mean i went to bed at eight o'clock in the morning yesterday
2: (laughs) and he's not kidding we finished (laughs) wrap we wrapped up the podcast at 4 a.m i believe i went right to sleep because i had to work in the morning and nick still had a lot more actual work that he had to do outside of the podcast for big blue view for sports illustrated and you better go follow that and read that and make it Worth his damn while, listeners out there. (laughs) And while you're at it, subscribe to the Big Blue Banter YouTube page, please. And while you're at that, go to Instagram, take five seconds and type in NYBigBlueBanter and follow us on Instagram. Oh, yeah, by the way, we do a live Q&A on Locker Room every Tuesday night. I think I've plugged everything necessary there, but yes, Nick. So you're on a weird eating schedule, is that
3: right? I am on a weird eating schedule. Still was able to get my walk in, though.
2: He was still able to get his walk-in. I, unfortunately, did not get any exercise in today, but I made up for eating three slices of a bacon pizza last night, eight or six or whatever it was, buffalo wings, about a half a order of fries because nobody was eating the fries and I just can't let fries <laughs> sit there. Like You look at french fries and you're like, I will eat those. You know, I'll just eat those fries. But tonight I felt a little better by myself, Nick, because I had a salad. I ordered a salad from Panera and a soup. But then again, you look at it and you're like, "Oh, this is healthy." But is it? When I put on that Green Goddess Panera dressing, so anyone's had the Green Goddess Cobb salad, Panera, it's a fucking great salad. But that Green Goddess dressing is very like looks very mayo based, and you know, I lo- I think about it, and there's sugar in it, I can taste the sugar in it, and I wonder if I ruin that health, that supposed healthy meal with the dressing because you,
3: you just may have, yes. <laughs> I guess I'm coming to the
2: right person to find this kind of information out. But anyway, let's get to day two of the draft because. It was another incredibly exciting night, I think, for the Giants. I think they demonstrated clearly that they have a plan going into this, and that's something we'll get to in a little bit because Dave Gettleman confirmed that it was part of their plan going into the day to acquire more draft picks for for the 2022 draft class next year for a multitude of reasons, which we went over last night. We can go over them again really briefly, but I like that part of the plan. I think that's a wise part of the plan. How did you feel about the Giants' decision to trade back from 42 overall to 50 after having already traded back in the first round last night?
3: I really liked it, to be honest, because like we've talked about on this podcast, Dan, there's going to be like 46 expiring contracts after this 2021 season. And we all know the Giants are up against Cap hell next year Kevin Abrams acknowledged it in his press conference so the Giants need to it's essential for them to find this cheap labor whether that be in this draft then they can have them under contract or in next year's draft so you knew that the Giants were going to make a priority of that in one of these drafts and it seems like they did it for the 2022 class class that they should have a lot more information on these guys so it makes a lot of sense from that standpoint and the trade down and still landing Aziz Ojolari ecstatic about that you pick up a 2022 third round pick you're still able to add my second edge rusher, an edge rusher that seems to fit really well in what Patrick Graham wants to do. So I was really ecstatic about round two to to see the Giants be able to pull all that off.
2: Yeah, and there's still a lot to talk about with that. You mentioned Aziz Ojalary, your number two pass rusher behind Jalen Phillips. But at the same time, for what specifically Patrick Graham wants to do on this system, in his system, Aziz might just be the best actual fit for the Giants. So it's unbelievable to land him there. I think they're getting a top 30 talent at 50 overall there. I think that the only reason he dropped was, not the only reason, the knee the knee issues which have already been checked out by Dr. James Andrews who said they shouldn't be a problem. His knee looks strong to me. All he did was have an injury. By the way, this whole issues with his knee and everything, it really just dates back to high school when he tore his ACL and some have said, well, will this be a degenerative issue? Meanwhile, he makes every single practice at Georgia. Supposedly, he's one of the best players in practice and one of the hardest workers in practice. Doesn't miss a game at Georgia, so... Honestly, I think it's a little bit overblown, but I also think it comes back to what I talked about on the Aziz Ojalari draft profile that we went over, Nick, when we were talking like, does this guy have any chance to be there at 42? I know you didn't think he did, but I always felt that a guy like this does have a good chance because at six foot two and a half, and I know he has the long arms, but at six foot two and a half, After playing in that Georgia system that asked him to to drop in coverage a lot, similar to what we saw with Lorenzo Carter, a unique system that is not really run by too many teams and a system, by the way, that both Joe Judge and Chris Pettit said, and himself, Aziz Ojolari and his post-draft presser said... I'm going to have an advantage coming into the Giants because I already know some of the terminology. It's a similar, somewhat similar system. And because of that, I always felt like he could be there because teams that run a four-man front are just not as interested in Aziz Ojalari as the Giants are because he's not really a 4-3 defensive end. But he can be an edge in this system for the Giants, and he can be a great edge. He's a perfect fit there. So love, love, love that. We'll get to a little bit more on Aziz in a minute. But I do want to ask you about the, I guess, the trade back because here's the concern I think not concern I don't even want to say it's concerned because I love this pick it's but this the reality color.
3: of it though
2: here's the reality the rally of it is that was kind of the end of the market for interior offensive linemen who could come in day one and be your week one starter there were guys two players that going into day two Dave Gettleman admitted in his post draft compressor after he wanted to take on the offensive line two guys he had ranked really high We're going to speculate in a moment on who those guys are, Nick. But what I think is he felt that those two guys could come in and start week one over Shane Lemieux or over Will Hernandez, whichever of the two doesn't win out in training camp, whichever of the two they felt less confident heading into week one with. And I don't know that he felt going into round three specifically that there was anyone he could have drafted over Aaron Robinson who would have been able to come in and immediately start in week one. So with that said, Nick, you've obviously seen the circulated video of Dave Gettleman looking pretty pissed off in the draft war room right before Azizo Ojalary was the pick. I think he liked Azizo Ojalary, but I think he really liked more the idea of getting one of these two linemen that he had who were picked before Azizo Ojalary to start week one. Do you agree that that was probably what he was angry about? And if so, Who's your speculation on who those two linemen are? Because I think I know exactly who they are.
3: I think I know exactly who they are. (laughs) And there are two players we've talked about pretty extensively on this podcast, to be honest. And I think it does make sense because what has the Giants draft philosophy been? this season or just the overall philosophy you can say the whole offseason has been ensure that Daniel Jones is in a prime spot to have a breakout third season yes you add Kyle Rudolph Kenny Galladay John Ross you draft Kadarius Tony you really are trying to maximize this player and just validate the fact that you drafted him with a top 10 pick in 2019 and everybody mocked you so I think getting an offensive line and sharing that up with these two stud players from college is something that Dave Gettleman really wanted to do didn't materialize I think he loves Aziz Jolari. it's not a referendum on Aziz Jolari, but I think if he were able to get these two players it would have uh really made David Gettleman and the Giants happy
2: yeah no doubt about it Nick and so let's reveal who they are because I think it's pretty obvious to anyone who's followed the draft I think going into day two at 42 he wanted to get one of two players Landon Dickerson the interior offensive lineman Alabama and I think he knew all along if he was going to get Landon Dickerson it was going to be at 42 overall Because he was ballyhooed and talked about and viewed by almost every team, I'm sure, as maybe the best interior offensive lineman in the class. The Eagles, a very smart team, in my opinion, from a draft standpoint, took him at 37 overall. That was off the board. Now you're sitting at 42, and I think when he traded down to 50, he actually felt like there was a really good chance he was still going to get his second offensive lineman because he said, and just to back this up a little bit, Chris Pettit in the or Dave Gettleman in the post draft presser said there were five guys that they liked at fifty. Chris Pettit said there were five guys, but Chris Pettit said Azizul Galarie was the number one guy. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. That's true. I think that after the draft, it's very easy to say he was their number one guy. He would still be my number one guy, by the way. I would take Aziz Ogilari over Landon Dickerson. I would take Aziz Ogilari over the guy we're about to talk about. I really like Aziz Ogilari, and I really like his fit for this system. And I really like the idea of getting an edge like him at this pick because I think it. there's a really good chance he could ultimately step in right away week one because he has the head start in the terminology and be their best pass rusher off the edge. Now, having said that, I think it's possible that Dave had a little bit of a different opinion in the draft room than a Chris Pettit. And then maybe other people in the draft room who knows who felt it because that's kind of why it seemed like everyone else in the Giants draft room was okay and Gettleman was shaking his head. He kind of put his head down and was just shaking his head because I think something unexpected happened. And what that was is, I think Dave thought he could move back to 50 and still get Aaron Banks, the offensive lineman, Adam Notre Dame, another interior guy who I think could start right away in week one. And I think that we talked about him on this pre—how many times did we mention Aaron Banks? We talked about you wrote him up as one of your guys. We talked about him plenty of times. But we always talked about him as kind of a round three guy because of the uncertainties. He didn't play, all yada yada, and all this—I can't believe I'm yada yada I feel like I'm watching an episode of Seinfeld here. <laughs> but— all the uncertainty surrounding Banks we thought would maybe drop in the round three, but that sometimes doesn't materialize in the draft. And I think this is a perfect example of that. The Niners traded up to get this pick. They love this guy. They didn't care. They didn't want to wait. And I think Gettleman was caught a little by surprise that Banks went that high. I think he was going to go with Banks at 50 or there was going to be a big discussion between Banks and Ojolari in that room. Some would have liked Ojolari. Gettleman would have leaned Banks. And when Banks came off the board, I think their their decision was made for them, and it was Ojolari.
3: Yeah, and I also just think Dave Gettleman's looking at this, and he's like, yo, we got jumped yesterday for a guy everybody knew we wanted. Now we're getting jumped for Aaron Banks because that's what happened. I'm sure that John Lynch and the San Francisco 49ers had some sort of inclination that the New York Giants were interested in Aaron Banks. Why else would you jump them unless they felt like, the Arizona Cardinals were going to go in that direction because the Arizona Cardinals picked between them. But you're right, man. I mean, I would rather have Aziz Ojolari. I love Aaron Banks. Huge Aaron Banks fan. And I think he would have been excellent for the power gap system that Jason Garrett likes to run. I think he would have been excellent as a play side blocker on those down blocks. Just moving bodies does well to climb up to the second level on ace and deuce type blocks. Just a, a mountain of a man. But it didn't happen. And in the third round, it didn't happen for the New York Giants with this interior offensive line. So we're going to probably investigate some other picks that are going to be available for day three for us. But landing Aziz, man, I mean, if you would have told me before this draft, you're going to get Aziz Ojolari after a trade down in the second round. I'd have been like, wait, wait, what? Excuse (laughs) excuse me? You mean in the first round? No, 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 no. In the second round, a trade down. I
2: mean, it's quite amazing to look at the total haul right after that 50th pick was made. The Giants came out of the first two rounds with Azizo ojalary who we talked about extensively as a potential play at 11 somebody who perfectly fits the system and maybe i always felt it was a reach at 11 personally yeah yeah but at the same time it was in play we thought you know the giants maybe wanted to get their pick of the edges they came out with him kadarius tony who the more i watch the more i warm up to i am starting to warm up heavy to this tony kid i really see a lot of potential there Still maybe not my guy, still maybe Elijah Moore, still maybe Bateman, but I like all three of them, so I don't think it matters too much to me. Plus a first-round pick next year. Who knows how good that could be? Plus a third-round pick. That's what they got for moving back with the Dolphins. And by the way, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, listeners of the Big Blue Banter podcast, we've got another team to root against in 2021. (laughs) It's the Miami Dolphins. And oh, it feels so bad because I like brian flores and i like their young roster they built it the right way and they have a good roster by the way so they may actually have a pretty solid record which sucks for the giants because the giants have their third round pick but at the same time it's two attack of a low at quarterback i'm not a huge fan of never was a huge fan of him coming out i was in the minority by the way on that i want to make that clear because i take my lump for rosen no one ever gives me credit for having Mahomes as the qb1 in that class and i've tweet receipts to prove that i have Mahomes there (laughs) and yet i was not high on two i never saw him as the surefire top five pick and maybe he'll get better but i i still don't see it so i think he could help us get some losses maybe next year but yeah there's a new team to root against baby it's the dolphins so anyway they come out of this with those two players a first round pick next year a third round pick next year and a fourth round pick next year from potentially the crappy bears it's awesome
3: absolutely awesome now they traded that fifth round pick uh, in the third round, which we'll get into in a little bit. But I'm right. fine with that because I do believe the NFL this season, they look at this – day three and they're just like yo there's so much uncertainty here man a lot of these guys don't even have 2020 film we're relying on 2019 film we haven't been able to have any sort of personal contact with these guys outside of zoom meetings so they look at a lot of those picks and they're just like dude we will trade those away in order to get the guys that we want and look what did Dave Gettleman do what did the New York Giants do they invested in the Reese's Senior Bowl players yet again in this third round pick (laughs) they get get a face-to-face meeting with them they talked about it with Robinson too they talked
2: about like yeah go ahead it's a
3: Exactly what you said. Exactly. I mean, Aziz obviously wasn't at the recent Senior Bowl. He was a redshirt uh, sophomore, but they have really strong connections to the Georgia football program. And, I mean, look, since Dave Gettleman has been there, how many guys have they drafted out of Georgia? DeAndre Baker, Lorenzo Carter, now Aziz Ojolari.
2: Yep. They they love drafting Georgia players, and I don't blame them for it. A and, and part of it is because Kirby's smart system does have some similarities to what they're running. It even had some similarities to what James Boettcher was running. And kind of as Dave came over, something people don't give Dave enough credit for, when he came over to the Giants, he talked about how he does start, he has... During his time in Carolina, he learned to view the second level a little differently and the players he's looking for at those second and third levels a little differently. And the Giants really haven't invested any crazy assets in those thumper linebackers, and they really have started to get different second level edge types they don't take those four three defensive ends they're not investing in the A.J. Ebenezes of the world the Carlos Bashams they're not I mean they made a swing on Ogletree which was a little bit of a mistake but honestly Gettleman at the time felt he was more athletic than I guess he ended up being I think some of the injuries played a role there Al Ogletree was a decently athletic player with the Rams I don't know what was left of him with the Giants but I don't totally think that that was that as off base as it turned out to be
3: yeah, the thing about Ogletree that was interesting, and I did a breakdown for Inside the Pylon on him. I thought it was he was going to be utilized a lot more as a blitzer, and that would really right. help unlock James Betcher's scheme. But I never saw the keen diagnosing ability. The ability to put himself into position to to stop, run, scrape over the top so of bad. blocks. He was he was from a mental standpoint, from a processing standpoint, he was just really, really off. And then as athletically Anytime you saw him and a two-way goes in covered with a running back releasing like from the A gap that's very very difficult but man he would just get torched all the time <laughs> it, it was uh, the Giants significantly upgraded by getting Blake Martinez and I know we talk about that a lot but like looking back at the 2019 team and seeing what the 2020 linebackers were i mean it's night and day man
2: yeah you're 100% right and i think part of the problem for Ogletree was just that he Started off by being an okay player, like I I talked about with Turchin, some of the film I liked with Ogletree. And we won't spend too much time here, but was that he was able to make plays sideline to sideline in 2018, and even that disappeared in 2019, and he he was just a, a miss and a swing and a miss. But as for Azizo Jelari, I know we talked about it in depth on the Azizo Jelari draft profile. So if you're new to the Big Blue Banter podcast, I know we have some new listeners coming in. Just judging on what we see in the downloads and some people who have started following each of us on Twitter during the draft. Go take a look back on April sixth. We did a full podcast breaking down Aziz Ojolari. But just for the new listeners who are coming in now, or people who had listened but it's been a while, and there's been we dropped a lot of content. Give them real quick a breakdown of his strengths and weaknesses from what you saw on film.
3: Yeah, for Aziz Ojolari, he. I guess we'll start with his pass rushing upside. He has a good first three steps. I wouldn't say that he carries a lot of bend in his lower half. I've seen him bend through contact, but he's not the bendiest type of guy. It's not really his game. His game is winning with one specific pass rushing move. I think his pass rush plan can be refined a little bit more. He can develop a few other moves. I do believe he can convert speed to power pretty well. But his one dominant pass rush move that he uses is he basically uses his inside arm to stab basically establishes some point of contact on the tackle and then from that uses his outside arm to violently and I mean violently chop down on the tackle's outside arm and he does that and that usually forces the tackle's momentum a little bit forward while moving up the pass rushing arc creates separation creates space so Aziz Ojolari can then dip his inside shoulder get his hips angled towards the quarterback towards the pocket and then he does dip underneath the tackle using some bend again bend isn't excellent but using some bend to get that edge win that half man relationship and then get sex. and you could see it through his film he always tries to do that he sticks that inside arm on the chest comes violently to try to chop the outside arm down and that's the way he wins now he does have other ways and he has shown counters this is not really consistent and there are times where he i guess you want to see him have a more refined plan like i said before But I have seen him convert speed to power where he goes for the bull rush and then he tries to get to either the half man inside or outside wherever he sees some leverage and he wins that way love his hands he has big hands too I want to say they're like 10 and a half inches and I love the fact that he's six foot two has natural leverage being a little bit shorter yet has 34 and a half inch arms so he has the arm length of what a six foot five edge defender that's something that you don't necessarily see all that often i believe he has like 95th percentile arm length according to mock draftable and that's with 41st percentile height so that's somewhat of an advantage and he also is very very good against the run i don't believe he really gets credit for that i love watching him take pullers dan Whenever a puller in a power gap system comes, and you see it in the Alabama film in 2020, Deontay Brown, gigantic guard, tries to come backside pull. Aziz will just squeeze so tight and just restrict the inside rushing lane and spill everything outside to those secondary force defenders. So I love how he can do that as well. And just on base blocks too, he sets the edge. I mean, there's there are times where there are tackles who can get inside of him a little bit and drive him, but like he holds firm pretty yeah. well against tackles who outweigh him by 60, 70 pounds sometimes. So I'm not going to lie, man. I mean, I, I'm really... Intrigued by this pick. I love this pick. I mean, anybody who's listened to this podcast knows that I'm a big Aziz Ojolari fan, so the fact that the Giants able to trade down in the second round and get him makes me pretty ecstatic.
2: As you should be. I mean, 95th percentile arm length, 95th percentile wingspan, 95th percentile hand size, 90th percentile bench press. He's a lot stronger than people give him credit for. And according to Pro Football Focus, he had 24 defensive stops, which was tied for the third most among SEC edge defenders. Those defensive stops are... Meaning, basically, what they judge a defensive stop by is if a running play goes for negative y- gain or zero yards. So, okay. he was able to make an impact in the run game. You see the physicality, like you talked about. But I think the most interesting thing that you that you mentioned there, in my mind at least, is that he is, while he is obviously not the tallest edge guy at six foot two and a half, his arm length and wingspan basically make him like a Jalen Phillips six foot five type frame. I mean, like it's not exactly the same type deal, but with that kind of wingspan, you kind of are. And not only that, it's what you said before. It's the leverage thing because (laughs) you see so many times a player like Dalvin Tomlinson. Why is Dalvin Tomlinson so successful in the NFL? I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he gets such good leverage. I really do believe that because you look at Tomlinson and he shouldn't be as unbelievably stout against blockers in the run game or, you know, sometimes pushing a pocket as you see him, but it's like maybe it has a lot to do with the fact that he gets really good leverage against these taller offensive linemen on the interior. And I think something similar could happen against these six foot eight Colton Miller type offensive tackles, for example, or kind of those style offensive tackles to Samuel Cosme, who's going to, by the way, be going up against because the Washington football team drafted Samuel Cosme. So I actually feel like he could be really, really good. And obviously, you look at the tape against Alex Leatherwood, and that's kind of the big game for him, I think. It's the it's the one where you're like, okay, he's going up against a guy who was literally just drafted in the first round now. Obviously, some people <laughs> feel that was a reach, even though I'm not going to laugh it off totally, Mike Mayock, because I did love Alex Leatherwood. He was one of my guys. I thought he was super underrated. In the fact that he was talked about as a second round pick. I saw a potential first round guy, whatever. But by the way, I saw it at guard and it looks like they're gonna play him at right tackle, which may not be
3: Me and you differ there because I'm yeah, not we a big did Alex. I'm yeah, yeah, not a big, big Alex guy.
2: Leatherwood, yep. But anyway, the point is he had a really good game against Leatherwood, a really freaking good game against a first round pick. Who obviously, you know, Tom Cable, the Raiders, said I thought he was the best tackle in this class. or so for whatever it's worth. That's
3: that's saying it something is interesting. right there.
2: It's certainly interesting with Penny Sewell and fucking <laughs> Slater in this class. I mean, he must
3: put like a lot of value on the fact that he played at Alabama. That sure. has that has to be what it is. Yeah. But yeah, another thing about Aziz too, man. Like he's yeah. not he's not like an incredible athlete, I wouldn't say, but he does have good burst and he didn't test amazingly at his pro day, which could be another reason why he slid a little bit yes. more down the uh Down to the Giants, that and that knee. But, I mean, when you have Dr. James Andrews coming out saying the knee shouldn't be an issue, it dates back to high school. And then you have all of the the NFL teams who they have their medical teams to go out and feel it out. So I'm guessing the Giants gave it a pass to spend a top 50 pick on this guy. But, man, I love the motor this guy plays with. He's competitively tough, and he's somebody that everybody heralds at Georgia for being a leader. That's something that you have to acknowledge. That's something that Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman really put a high precedent on like we brought up several times throughout this podcast
2: yeah you're 100% right he was named team captain in 2019 really early on in his career with Georgia for a reason on a defense and a team that has a lot of potential team captains a lot of potential five-star recruits and it and you know basically Kirby Smart's program there is almost like a Nick Saban light the way he runs that it's really intense it's really demanding it's going to be a lot like what Joe Judge demands out of his players so I think that makes him an excellent fit And just from a pure production standpoint, Nick, it doesn't get much better than what this kid was able to do. Like, yeah, I understand that the three cone wasn't great, right? The vertical jump wasn't great, though the broad jump was really good. So you factor that in. But those raw testing numbers may have played into this potential drop. In addition to the fact that, again, I don't see him really as a fourth for for teams that play four down linemen. I don't really see him as a fit there. So I think that helped the Giants. But Ultimately, he had unbelievable production against the highest level of competition in the SEC. And yeah, I know I said the same thing about DeAndre Baker and why I was so excited about DeAndre Baker, but it's a little bit different, I think, for a corner versus uh, edge for for the sheer fact that as a corner, Baker's straight line speed, which was a problem coming in, could ultimately be like, oh, if you get to the next level, that tick of speed makes the difference. I don't think that's going to be the case with somebody like Ogillar. I don't think the fact that he had a decent, you know, a mediocre three cone and a bad vertical is really going to make too much of a difference here. But as far as just the pure production goes, here are some numbers both for you tweeted out, and I believe they're all from PFF. He's had 15 sacks over the last two seasons, so the pure sacks he gets there, and 91.3 pass rushing grade, Thirty, which by the way, is 91.7 pass rush grade was first among all SEC defenders. His 91.3 pass rushing grade was number one according to Pro Football Focus in 2020. 35 pressures in what, eight games? Nine games, what did they play? Eight, eight games there, nine games, sorry. A 24% pass rush win rate, which was, that was not PFF, that was ESPN's numbers. That was first among all SEC defenders. A 90.0 overall grade from PFF, which was second among power for all power five edges. That includes the run game, which again, he had 24 defensive stops, 37 pressures and nine sacks, fourth in pass rush productivity, according to pro football folks, which combines the sacks, the hits, the hurries relative to how many times they have the opportunity to rush the passer. takes out all the snaps that were in run defense. I mean, these are top level elite production numbers from a guy who played in the best conference in college football. So I mean, all that checks out
3: to me. Yeah, no, I think he's finished, like, top three or four when you also eliminate, like, um, players who didn't play 20% of their team snaps. Yeah. So that's in all of college football, to be honest. So he, according to Pro Football Focus and all the analytics, he's somebody who checks a lot of boxes. And the film checks the boxes, too. And that's what I always go by. mean you want somebody who can play the run you want somebody who can drop into coverage and you want somebody who can rush the passer for edge that's what patrick graham demands out of his edge rushers and we said this all offseason dan zizo gilari is the perfect fit everybody who basically follows the giants says zizo gilari is the perfect fit and they were able to get this guy a lot of people had him as a first round talent able to get him mid second round top 50 pick at 50 after trading down
2: Yeah. I I think my father, Ron Schneier, I'm going to give him his first shout-out in podcast podcast history. He's going to love the fact that I did this. But I think he said it best. He's like, if you just told me that we got Aziz Ojolari at 20 and Kadarius Tony at 50 I'd be thrilled so just let's look at the draft like (laughs) that because he wasn't a huge fan of the Tony pick by any means at 20 but he's like if you had just told me I got Aziz at 20 and Tony at 50 I'd be thrilled so let's just look at it like that it doesn't really matter they got them both they did really doesn't matter what order they took these players in my mind and I again I'm warming up big time to Tony anyway
3: so as am I as am I I just hope I mean I really just hope that Jason Garrett can figure that part out
2: I do too, but I also think that Jason Garrett is not very long for this Giants team. I like, agree with that. I, first of all, I can see him getting Columbo'd. I don't think that's out of play. Okay. I think, Judge, when you Columbo somebody once, I feel like... How often do you see what
3: happened last year with Columbo happen? Like, that was odd. An in-season coach firing like that? And It's very odd, and I think it's... Uh even more i mean jason garrett i feel like isn't a high head, he's much more poised than right. someone like mark columba who kind True. of flew off the uh <laughs> handle but if things do fall through the yeah. giants do have somebody who can step right. up and be the offensive coordinator and freddie kitchens who's proven that he can do it with colt mccoy as his quarterback and was pretty creative against the cleveland browns so that's the one thing that makes me feel like they have somebody on the roster who could step up and realistically do it did it at a high level when he was the offensive coordinator for the cleveland browns back in the day
2: and Rob Sale as well could potentially step in and play could, an yeah. exact similar role. So they have multiple guys in the waiting who have experience kind of designing an offense, running an offense potentially, and coming in and improving an offense. So I don't worry as much about the time. I mean, I worried about it for 2021, of course. Yeah. You know, Garrett's going to be there at least to start. But I-, I just don't see this guy having a long-term future with the Giants. Like The offense was – any. <laughs> they watch the tape too. Like it's <laughs> – what we see on the tape is not like – blind they're not blind to it I don't think I think Judge watched the tape and was like dude this offense man like what are you doing you're running curls all the time here we're gonna have to change that like we gotta get Tony like if you put Tony in the mix right and you ran that exact same offense and let's say you just like put him in the golden Tate role for next year that would be an unbelievably pathetic way to deploy Kadarius Tony in his first season okay. with the Giants it would be like not understanding at all what you have in him. He's not Golden Tate. I mean, he can be compared in some ways to Golden Tate. I know somebody made that comparison. It's not a terrible one. But if you just have him running stop routes, like this is not what you want for Darius Toney. Golden Tate threw a pass this year, though, right? Okay. okay. Ah,
3: Darius Toney has thrown a couple passes for the University of Trick Florida. offense,
2: Giants, baby. <laughs> it's <laughs> going to yeah. be interesting. Anyway, one more comment I wanted to make about the trades because I did think it was cool. I said going in, like I said, they had a plan. Dave Gettleman said, I'd be lying to you if I said it wasn't a priority for us to acquire 2022 draft picks. It was important to us. So my question for you is this, Nick, based on that. Where do you think this came from? Because he said it was a priority to us, right? But in his entire career prior to this, he never, ever made it a priority to get future draft picks in trades. Not once with the Panthers or with the Giants in the first three drafts did he ever make it a priority. He says he's tried to, he's considered it, but I think what he's those trades, there's no guarantee that in any of those trades it was for a future draft pick. Mm-hmm. Like he said last year, you know, they were going to trade unless McKinney fell, right? That could have just been add another third-round pick in that last draft. As far as prioritizing getting future picks, that's something new for Gettleman. That's something new for this entire regime. It's honestly something new for the Giants in general. They really haven't had that too much throughout their history. Who do, I think it's a really good idea. I know it's based on what they say. You know, like you said, they'll have more information on these prospects next That's year.
3: Absolutely. It's two things. It's that. Yeah. It's, it's the fact that they're going to have more information and the pandemic. And then the other thing would just be the fact that they back themselves – into a corner a little bit with the way they allocated their cap it's going to hurt them in 2022 i mean i'm ecstatic about it now i'm all about 2021 and we'll worry about it in 2022 but kevin abrams already acknowledged it and if you just go to whatever over the cap or, or spot track or whatever the hell you pronounce that you can see that they may be in trouble in 2022 especially with all like i've brought up several times in this podcast the amount of expiring contracts they have
2: and Potential to have to re-sign Jabril Peppers. Mm -hmm. Saquon Barkley, just don't do it. Please, God, just don't do it. Make him play out the five at the least, at the very least. (laughs) If you're going to make the mistake of extending a running back, at least make him play out the first five. But I digress. I don't want to get into that right now. Please, there's still some people who want him to get that $20 million per year contract that's going to destroy the Giants, just absolutely destroy him. But And say, Jones takes a jump. You ought to extend him, too, potentially, so with all that they could still dip into the 2023 cap so i don't think they're in total cap hell but that's again assuming they don't have to extend those guys peppers barkley whoever it may be so considering they might have to they'll probably use that money they're dipping into in 2023 to help those players out and to extend those players so i do agree with you i think it's a lot to do with that and i think that's A really good sign that the Giants are starting to be a forward looking team in this regime. They're starting to think ahead. They're starting to have a plan. They're starting to plan their 2022 moves already in 2021 during the draft. Like they're making this decision based on all those things you said. The fact that oh, there's going to be so many more players, by the way, prospects heading into the 2022 class because the NCAA granted an extra year of eligibility for these players to come back because of the COVID crappy season. So a lot of guys said, I'm coming back. I'm going back. I don't want to go into this draft class right now. So because of that, and he, I think Gettleman or Pettit may have mentioned there's like 13 players from one program in the SEC that, that they said would have been drafted in this class, they had an eye on, that are all coming back. So it's just cool to me that they have a forward-looking plan. They're thinking about next year already now. And they literally went in, and he says, I'd be lying to you if I said it wasn't a priority, They prioritize getting picks in the next class. So to me, it's awesome. And I think ultimately, they, they in their minds, they're like, if we can't get Devonte Smith or Jalen Waddell, and you can tell me if you disagree with this, we're going to trade that pick back. And that's awesome to me.
3: Yeah, I mean, they ended up getting jumped for the devonta smith right. thing but the fact that they wanted to do that we thought they were just going to be like you know what? we're just going to get our top ranked edge here and yes. end up doing that so the fact that they were like okay we're going to trade back but it takes two to tango luckily for the giants some quarterbacks actually ended up falling which benefited
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
3: them this time. Justin Fields specifically, the Chicago Bears circled their guy, were able to part ways with the first round pick. And honestly, they didn't have to mortgage that much to move up nine spots to get their guy. But still, the Giants, I still feel like it's fair compensation them getting a one, getting a four and a five.
2: Agreed entirely. And speaking of that five, it was leveraged today in the second pick for the Giants in the third round of the 2021 NFL draft when the Giants traded the fifth round pick they acquired from the Bears in that trade and their third round pick to move up and select Aaron Robinson, the cornerback out of UCF. So let's talk a little bit about this Robinson pick. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors.
1: Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they wanna help you even more. With the Credit Karma Money Spend Account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases
3: So let's talk about it, Dan. Aaron Robinson, a guy I didn't do all that much research on outside of the Senior Bowl. So I watched a little bit of film of him before he went to the Senior Bowl and I liked what I saw. But when he weighed in at the Senior Bowl, I think UCF's website had him at like six foot one, you know, like 100 or 200 pounds or something like that, like great size. And he ended up coming in at like 5'11", like 185 or something like that. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it wasn't exactly desirable. So... It was a little bit knocked, but then you see this movement skills and just how fluid he is, and you're like, okay, this, kid, this kid's a player, you know? That's down at the senior bowl, but since then, since the Giants drafted him, I was able to watch about two games of his, and man, he, he has some closing bursts, man. He has some click and close ability downhill, and he has some real man coverage ability to pair with the versatility that he has, to be able to play inside, to be able to kick inside on the box to play that star position that Dave Gettleman has mentioned and he also can play the boundary uh, that's what they view him as I think he's more going to be relegated to the inside and the star position and then on passing downs you could put him at that linebacker position kind of similar to what they do with Jabril Peppers because he is so physical as a run defender man I really like him in run support he's very very aggressive very very tough and brings that just physical energy to the defense and then in coverage, man, I mean, he really makes a lot of impressive plays on the football. Now, we only had three interceptions. Uh, they were a couple of them, were like, two of them were like under throws, and I think another one was like a tip pass or something like that. But the way he gets to the catch point and brings a disruptive nature to the catch point and just how fast he gets there, just that quick twitch... I believe he had like a really impressive 20-yard split. I don't think his 10-yard split was all that impressive, but his 20-yard split was really impressive. But, I mean, just by watching the film, you would think his 10-yard split was really, really impressive because his immediate acceleration from a stopped position or a stagnant position is really, really impressive. So I, I, the more I watch him, and I still need to get through more film of his to be honest, but the more I watch of him, the more I end up liking of him, I and mean, I think the Giants really got a good football player here.
2: Yeah, I mean, let's be honest here. I'm pretty thrilled with the pick. I'll be honest with you, Nick. And I remember last year, like, I was thrilled with the Darnay Holmes pick in round four. And everyone considered that the worst pick. They couldn't understand why they did it. And I was just thinking the whole time, you're getting a really good value at a position of incredible importance nowadays in the NFL. Like, coverage is king. You need to have guys who can cover. You can never have too many guys who can cover. I'm starting to treat the past, honestly, these defensive back positions, Kind of like I treat the, the offensive line, like a bullpen in, the, in Major League Baseball. You really can't ever have enough guys who can cover. For the sheer sense that there will be injuries, you're going to need the depth. But also because there's going to be a lot of teams that are going prepare to prepare you to for games like the Cowboys will prepare the Giants for this year. Where you're going to have to cover Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and C.D. Lamb on almost every single snap. How about the Washington football team? You're going to have to cover Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, and Diami Brown on every single snap. The Eagles, you're going to have to cover. I mean, the Eagles give you a little bit of a break. They only got Devontae Smith, basically, and Goddard, who who knows.
3: Jalen Rager. We're Jalen Rager.
2: Now. I wasn't a huge fan, but whatever. Yeah, he yeah. still has a ton of potential, for sure. But either way, this is the NFL now. You need guys who can cover. And he also has speed, by the way. It's not just yeah, the, yeah. The, the quickness. He he ran a four three nine, which is really important, I think, for defensive backs in the sense that the Giants view him as somebody who can play outside, inside in the slot, where he played mostly last year. And the star position, they he named that specifically, Dave And They're like the star position is obviously not in every single defense. It's specific to Patrick Graham's system.
3: Yeah, and it's it's well, it's, it's Alabama. It's runs called a lot something of star. different. Yeah, Alabama calls it star as well. It's basically like an overhang defender who's more, uh, a, a, it's like a split between the apex defender, the nickel defender, and a linebacker essentially. So you need, and his size doesn't really necessarily portray somebody who's going to be. A star. I mean he's 186 pounds. That's twenty-fifth percentile among cornerbacks, and stars have safety and linebacker type of build sometimes, but it's his ability to play the run that's so damn uh apparent that I think the Giants couldn't pass up. And Dan, I wanted to bring this up, man. Twenty nineteen, do you remember how much we complained about Grant Haley? Yeah. A lot. I couldn't stand watching Grant Haley at the slot. Loved how he could tackle. And sure. he was a smaller guy who could tackle, but he would get burnt constantly because he just wasn't athletically gifted like the Darnay Holmes and the Aaron Robinsons of the world. But now we have Holmes. We have Robinson. We have Julian Love who can play in the slot. We have Xavier McKinney who can play in the slot. If yep. You need to put Peppers there. He can do it, even though I think you can utilize him in a better way. Yeah. There, there are a lot of guys you can use in the slot. Logan Ryan. The Giants really... Really added so many different versatile pieces who can execute that role, and it was such a such a damn uh, liability for the Giants in 2019.
2: Yeah, it's truly amazing. I mean, I love this pick for all the reasons you just mentioned. More competition there, potentially in my mind, their best slot guy. Like not to bury Darnay Holmes, we're gonna get to that in a moment. Yeah. What this means and says for Darnay Holmes, but I think there's a lot more upside with a player like Robinson from the sheer fact that he is faster, he's quicker. He's more physical, and he's a really short tackler, which is super important to play that slot position in today's NFL or to play that you know nickel position, that star position that you discussed if he has to play that or if he's going to play that, even to play the boundary at times. Like One of the things that Gettleman said about this pick is that we had a really high value on Aaron. I just didn't want to sit and wait. We felt that he's, a pre- that he's a press cornerback that really fits what we want to do and who we want to become on defense, and what that meant to me is Patrick Graham, who we saw do it a lot, ran a one in Miami, but didn't do it a lot last year with only you know Isaac Yedem to try it out there and Julian Love to try it out there, and that's probably the best of the best right there. He also, who were the other two dudes, that Ryan, Ryan Lewis, like <laughs> I mean, it was slim pickings there. And I think that this is a little bit of a hint. You could tell me if you agree with this. Now the Giants are going to run a lot more press man this year
3: yes i think the giants will run a lot more man coverage i think a dory jackson could also play this lot if they really need him to i think the addition of a dory jackson and now robinson and even just having Darnay Holmes, even though he has like 29 and a half inch arms which is incredibly uh short and i believe robinson's is only like a 30 and one eighth it's not that much bigger but these guys have the ability to play man coverage they have the ability to stay in phase on horizontal routes and they have the speed to carry those vertical routes up the seam and then up the boundary and that's what you're going to need. Isaac Yadam didn't have that. He couldn't change direction. His change of direction and his lateral agility just was not there. These players all have that. And if you watch Aaron Robinson's tape, you can just see how fluid he is, man, his hips. There are times where he, where uh, a wide receiver will run a squirt release, which is essentially they'll go outside and then they'll wait for the cornerback to commit their hips to the outside. And then they'll just come right back inside. And it really messes up the cornerbacks ability to kind of stay in phase and, 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 kind of carry that route inside. And Robinson, dude, his hips are so fluid. He doesn't bounce up or anything like that. He maintains a low center of gravity and he maintains this speed through the turn and that transition. That's one thing I really, really love about him. And I do believe that just adding this type of player will allow Patrick Graham to kind of still run these these man coverage concepts that we expect to see, even though the Giants may suffer some injuries of in the secondary. Because right. darnay Holmes had a neck injury last year. Dory Jackson has dealt with his fair yes. share of injuries. So that's something that's gonna happen in the NFL. You need depth. And this was a, a good depth, and not even just a depth no, not addition. I don't I I don't want to I make it it's a value. like it's I think it is a value, yes. And they traded up for it, and that's one thing I think we'll get into a little bit later. Was it the right decision to trade up when you need to add some material offensive linemen? But at the end of the day, you got a really good football player here, somebody that can make an impact on this defense.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I think one of the interesting things you just brought up is that ability to flip your hips and carry on those vertical routes. The Giants literally lost a game last season. So they would've been seven and nine. What did they finish, six and 10? They would've been seven and nine, and then technically they would've been division winners yep. if they hadn't had cornerback who could do that. There was the first game against the Eagles where they had the win in the book and they gave up that long pass along the sideline for literally, this, that exact thing happened. There was also a game earlier this season, I believe, against Dallas, where they gave up a similar route along the sideline. I believe that was to Michael Gallup from Andy Dalton He yeah. came in a relief. So again—
3: It was like two of those passes. Two of those yeah, passes. Yeah. One, of, and, one And of the Cooper, Eagles believe, was either
2: one or two as well.
3: Yeah. yeah, and I think they were both Ryan Lewis. And then after yeah. that, Ryan Lewis was, just was like, done. yeah, you got to go.
2: And so the Giants actually lost two games last year because of that. So clearly they look back on that and they're like, we need to fix that. We need more. route." And they did it with the Dory Jackson. Dory Jackson is one of the best corners in the NFL on carrying those vertical routes.
3: It wasn't even just that, Dan. It was also because the Giants were so basically relegated to playing cover three type of concepts that – these smart offensive coordinators like Mm -hmm. we know what kind of coverage they're going to be and let's just flood it. And they would flood the coverage and they would put Ryan Lewis and these inexperienced corners in a place where, okay, I can make decision A or I can make decision B. If I make decision A, then the quarterback's going to throw to decision B. So, and then vice versa. And Ryan Lewis got put into some bad spots and he didn't make the best choices. Sometimes he wasn't as decisive as he probably should have been. But that was all, the reason he was in the pickle that he was in was because the offensive coordinators kind of knew what the Giants were going to
2: do. Yes, exactly right. Right. And one thing that I really liked that Dave Gettleman said about this Aaron Robinson pick, and again, all three of them Gettleman, Pettit, Judge, they all said we felt he was so highly rated on our board and was such a good value for us, we had to trade up. We couldn't take the chance of not getting him. And again, we can go back and forth on if that's ever a great idea. Do you want to fall in love with players? The draft is a crapshoot. But I think when it's the, the cost of it is just a fifth round pick that you only acquired because you traded back in the first place, I'm always going to be okay with it because this is just one of three picks they're getting from the Bears, and it was the least valuable of the three picks by far. But one thing that he said, and I decided that I, I retweeted this out, Nick, and then see what you think about this. I've never agreed with Dave Gettleman on anything that he said since joining the Giants. And dating back to his time with the Carolina Panthers, because I watched a lot of his pressers with the Panthers to get a feel for what kind of GM he would be when the Giants hired him. I've never agreed with anything more than what he said when he said tonight, You do the analytics, I do it. I do the analytics, people. It was very disjointed, but I got this from the transfer. You do the analytics, I do. I do do the analytics, people, trust me. And the best defenders have the best tackling set, the best defenses are the ones with the best tackling secondaries. And Aaron Robinson is a really good tackling cornerback. Now there's a few things there. I haven't done the analytics on this. I haven't seen the study that shows the analytics, but I test wise, I can tell you, I spot on agree with that. I've struggled through watching so many poor tackling Giants secondaries. Honestly, I think this has been a problem for the Giants secondary from literally the day Tom Coughlin stopped coaching those teams till the day Joe Judge took over. And Joe Judge did such good work in such short period of time in that last offseason with COVID, with a minimized training camp, with no preseason, with no in-season, or I'm sorry, pre training camp mini-camps and, and mandatory mini-camps and OTAs, yet they were such a good tackling secondary versus what they had been in 2019. And tw- those better years were some of the bottom-out years when terrible. it comes to tackling in the secondary. And it killed the Giants. And it's not just that it kills you on run plays. More importantly, it kills you on the pass plays because the NFL is becoming such a league of just run after the catch. Run after the catch is becoming such a huge part of what makes offenses tick.
3: Someone needs to tell Jason Garrett that. <laughs> yeah, unless you're <laughs> Jason
2: Garrett and you're just running curls. But for the good offenses, run after the catch is a big part of it. And you need, in those regards, players like Aaron Robinson who will be on the field, sure tacklers who will turn those quick mesh routes, those crossers over the middle from four, uh, what could be a 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or touchdown play into a 5 or 6 yard game because he's a short tackler. And so I couldn't agree more with Gettleman on that. It's one of the main reasons I'm so excited about this Aaron Robinson pick, in addition to the fact that you're adding to, in my opinion, one of the most important positions to draft at all times corner, in addition to the fact that you're going along with the analytics that suggest pass coverage individuals can cover are more important than individuals who can rush the passer because teams are getting the ball out so quickly these days. And so, you know what? I'm never going to complain about a corner pick. I'm just not going to do it. I didn't do it last year with Holmes, and he turned out to be one of their best value picks last year. And I'm not going to do it here with Robinson. I'm really excited about this pick, Nick. Yeah,
3: and that makes so much sense, too, if you watch the Giants roster. like Isaac Idom, struggles in coverage. They put him out there. Why? Because he is a dog in run support, and he comes up and he sticks players. Yes. Darnay Holmes, dog. Julian Love, he's actually a pretty sound tackler as well and he and all these guys also have i mean obviously everybody's incredibly athletic but i feel like all these guys are really really good in pursuit and they're really really good at closing with and they have pretty solid tackling mechanics that's why we don't see those big broken plays the one play i think this year like the Los Angeles Rams Cooper cup touchdown that was a more of a miscommunication but then yeah. there was the the long touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin against the Washington football team that was a broken tackle and you and i looked at each other And we were like, that doesn't happen. Like, that hasn't happened on this batch It really hasn't happened. Which is so weird because we're so used to seeing it. But don't you love that, though? Just focus on the fundamentals. Make sure you tackle and make sure that they don't pick up any extra yards. Tackle soundly. Don't go for the huge hit. Be smart. Play football smart and stick to the details. And I love that, man.
2: And it's so true. Like, you look back at that Ryan play, like, it was – it is what it is. Like, it's going to happen – you would think it would happen more than once a year. It happened, like, once the entire year. It's crazy. That's how well they taught that in such a short span of time. And somebody – I'm not going to get the name right. I'm not going to remember. There were so many tweets and so much interactions tonight on Twitter. But one of our followers, and if you're listening to the podcast, you can let me know after this that I shouted you out and I shot you out by name. But one of our pod, uh, podcast listeners, or maybe just somebody who follows me on Twitter, responded back when I tweeted out that stat or that quote from Gettleman and said, yeah, they they call this the Patriots way, but really, this is the Giants way. And the Patriots, and Belichick, Belichick <laughs> created it when he was with the Giants, and he brought it over to the Patriots, but... Carcells and Belichick, when they were with the Giants, really stressed the, stressed the importance of secondaries that can tackle, how important it is to be able to tackle at that third level from your defensive backs. And Judge is bringing it back, and it's really a big reason, I think, why we saw such an improved defense last year. It seems like such a small thing, like having defensive backs who can tackle. A lot of teams probably don't even, like, I feel like some teams don't even stress or care about this. When you're seeing some of these guys, like CJ Henderson, for example, last year, he was so good in man coverage on an island. People are like, this is an easy top 10 pick. And I understand that. But at the same time, C.J. Anderson was not someone who was a great tackler. No. But I think the Giants are going to be drafting players who are great tacklers. And it's really interesting to me. A couple more stats on Rams that I want to throw out. Maybe get your take on. And, and just some background stats. One thing would be this. What do you think about this? 321, Nick, of his 789 snaps in coverage last season, according to Pro Football Focus, were in press man coverage. What does that tell you about
3: what he might be used to do in the Giants? That tells me that he's probably going to be running a press man cover.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And the Giants are probably going to be running a lot more press man and a lot less zone this year. 100 of those snaps came at the outside corner position. 484 came in the slot and then 46 in the box, which was interesting. He led UCF in pass breakups. Like you said, he's really good at making plays on the ball, really good short area quickness.
3: Yeah, and that's with Richie Grant, uh, a safety who was drafted over him on the team, so it's not like he has a bunch of scrubs on that team.
2: Yep, completely agree. And then one final thing here would be that he actually played He received 20 scholarship offers coming out of Florida's Deerfield Beach High School. He was only a three-star, but he still received 20 scholarship offers. Committed to Alabama, played on Alabama, and then left Alabama and transferred to UCF, I think, probably when you're at Alabama— and you're playing for Saban, and you see them just ripping up, <laughs> ripping, just ripping in five-star recruits year after year after year. And you see the competition. And you're like, I got. Him. If I'm, if it doesn't feel like I'm going to be locked into a starting role, I probably should transfer because I need to get an opportunity.
3: I can't be buried. Yeah, and Honestly. he al- and he also Robinson because he had to sit out a year, yeah. I believe, in 2017 because exactly. the transfer portal it kind of took him a while. Like 2019, he started finding his groove with UCF, and then 2020 exactly. he had a really good season. So it was a little bit more late of a late bloomer. Yep. And
2: that can be, you know, in any way – who can – some people view that in a negative way, I guess, with the breakout age stuff. I think that's more important to look at with different positions than corner. But who knows? It it doesn't
3: concern – the late bloomer thing doesn't necessarily concern me. But uh, something we've been praising, praising, and I think it's rightful to praise right now. But are you concerned at all, Dan, as we head into round four tomorrow, day three – and this interior offensive line has still not yeah. been addressed, man. So it's,
2: it's so funny you bring that up, Nick, because literally before I got into, I wanted to get into our day three targets. I said there's two things we need to discuss, and the first one is: are we right to be concerned about the offensive line right now? Because that's a big discussion right now. Big topic of discussion on Giants Twitter right now. There is the, uh, you know, those fa- the, I call them, I don't know, I got to come up with a word for, a term for these fans. And I only am saying this because I know the majority of our listeners don't qualify in this group. I don't think almost anyone one of you who listens to our podcast qualify in this group. And I'm not going to try to knock the group, but they're not my biggest, <laughs> I'm just going to say I'm not the biggest fans of them. There is a group of Giants fans that are vocal on Twitter that literally the Giants could, I don't know. Have all six of their draft picks this year cut by week one, and they find a way to make it a positive. <laughs> about to say things are going great, the regime's doing a great job. This and that happened. It's the and this, happened. and they seem to think like there's nothing to worry about with the offensive line. You have to give these young guys the time to pr- the time to progress. But like this isn't. We're not talking about five first round picks on the offensive line. We're not even talking about like we're talking about a fifth round pick who struggled mightily in past production in Shane Lemieux and who may just not have the traits to ever be good in pass production. Like, it's not just like, like you always say, Nick, I think you said it best. Progression is not linear in the NFL. Like there's no guarantee that Shane Lemieux just improves dramatically in year two because it's year two and he has more time. Will Hernandez, who's converting a position and has a, some really average film since his rookie season.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And then Matt
2: Parrot, who was taken at ninety-nine overall. And if you look at the history of the offensive tackle position in the NFL, offensive tackles selected outside of the top forty-five, and that's that's that's. I'd need to do a bigger study on this. That's just looking back at past draft classes. Eye test. I've looked through like going back to two thousand, just quickly on Pro Football Reference. There's a really low success rate for those tackles who are taken. So like that's a lot to bank on. So I don't think we're wrong to be concerned
3: about the offensive line have you changed your mind on that or do you still feel the same way absolutely now I'm cool with them not investing in strict tackles but those versatile guys I think you have to invest in I definitely think you have to invest in the offensive guard say Will Hernandez plays phenomenally this season he's a free agent next year you need to add depth and you need to add competition I think that's vital and I think Dave Gettleman agrees because Dave Gettleman was visibly pissed off at the fact that he got sniped for Aaron Banks Presumably. And, then and I think, Dickerson. And Landon Dickerson. I think Dickerson. he thought he could get him at 42. And I'm sure he was probably pissed about the fact that Landon Dickerson ended up going to the Eagles, yeah. a team that just sniped him for Devonta Smith. And <laughs> yeah. a team that's in your division. I think that's
2: what he was shaking his head. He's like, oh, like, God damn Howie Roseman. and then
3: sniped again by Roseman.
2: <laughs> no, no, you're 100% right, Nick. And I think that's a good point as well, what you said about Hernandez. So I don't think... The Giants. So I think it's important to say we are right to be concerned about the offensive line heading into 2020, but we also at the same time, because these things are not mutually exclusive, believe the Giants didn't make a mistake not going offensive line. I don't really think they made a mistake not going offensive line at 50. I think that best pick on the board by far was Aziz and they made it. And then when they came back at 71... I don't hate that either because I really like Aaron Robinson. I think he could be a really good player and I don't really love any of that. We all had some interior guys we liked there at 71 for sure. But if they have a super high grade on Robinson and Robinson ultimately is this super quick with straight line speed, great tackling, secondary piece they add, that could be more valuable than an offensive lineman that we like. But like who knows if he's just an average starter at guard or an average starter at center. So I don't think they made any mistake on the offensive line. But at the same time, I'm still super concerned about going into the season with no depth because, like you said, no one's even, like, talking about the depth, right? It's like we're just talking about the starters. That's the whole discussion has been centered around can Shane Lemieux be great as a starter? Will Hernandez is going to make some progression be great as a starter. What if injuries happen? They have Zach Fulton to slide in at guard. Are you kidding me? Zach Fulton, the guy who allowed seven, ten sacks? I know he was better the years before that, but he's not good. And then Nate Solder, who literally might not be able to bend anymore, like he's coming back after a year from football I don't think that's going to be that good it can go either way it could be like it helped his body recover but he was showing signs of not being able to bend in his last season with the Giants and if you can't bend on the edge at six foot eight you're not going to be able to play right tackle in my opinion and he also he has to learn a new position right tackle you know like it's like if Parrott struggles he has to learn or if Parrott gets hurt it's not even about just if Parrott or Lemieux or Hernandez struggle what if they get hurt right now and so I don't think they did anything wrong like you
3: said but I do I am concerned I'm definitely concerned as well, but I don't think you should be overly concerned, Dan. We have Spencer Pur- Pulley on the roster. I think oh, I, think I forgot about there. Spencer Pulley. There.
2: That's it. And and by the way, not only Spencer Pulley, they have uh, who's the kid who we, the kid we liked from uh that small school who's on their practice squad all year, Kyle Murphy. Yes, Kyle Murphy. Yeah, I blanked on Kyle Murphy's name. Shame on me. They got Kyle Murphy. No, I know you're you're messing around, Nick, but. It definitely is a concern heading into the season. And I think that ultimately, judging on Dave Gettleman's dismay in the draft room, the idea that he thought he could get an old immediate starter in Banks or in Dickerson shows me that I don't think he feels that comfortable with Lemieux and Hernandez as starting guards. And I think there's a chance after the draft they make a big move to get Trey Turner or they make a big move to get one of these veteran guards or somebody who's either going to get cut or traded based on another team drafting a guard over them because there might be some players i have to look through the 32 rosters but there might be some players now who may be out of their team's plans based on the fact that so many interior offensive linemen just went off the board on day two and now if those interior offensive linemen are slated to start for another team they may be looking to trade a veteran who's pretty good on the interior offensive line who maybe dave feels can be an upgrade to either of these two guys hernandez or lemieux or at least somebody who they can put on there and compete in camp and get the best out of hernandez me or be there in case those guys struggle at the beginning. Because it can't just be these these day three picks. We're going to have guys in a moment that we're target, but like you can't just throw a day three pick in and expect them to be immediately great players. I don't think.
3: One thing before we go into the day three yeah. targets, what do you think the addition of Robinson means for Darnay Holmes?
2: Well, yeah, that's a great. We we needed to get to that. What that's a great question, Nick. I think they're going to compete to start there. Yeah, I think it's going to be a battle. Darny Holmes is not going to give up without a fight. It's going to be probably one of the
3: funnest battles to watch. Yeah, I would the best training camp
2: <laughs> battle, for sure. By the way, let's tackle this. Is it funnest or most fun? It's probably most fun. Ooh, an, e- an, an early yeah. admission from Nick. Usually you fight back. Well, a little...
3: I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm very objective. <laughs> no, you're not. Not to yeah. say you're not objective. Yeah. Most
2: of the time, I'm just... Uh, giving you shit and you're not wrong at all and I'm just no, but doing, think, it, doing mo- it for the strict purpose of uh, having fun yeah no I think it is most fun it might be most fun it might be funnest. I don't know somebody can correct us. and by the way I should know these things as an editor but there are some things that I just don't know in life and that's a reality, and guess what? I'm still good at my job, just because I don't know if it's most fun or funnest, but I do think it's most fun. But anyway,
3: and we'll see if I get the W here. But this this will be a slight win. I'll take it. I, I don't think you should take it because I, I just <laughs> automatically said, yeah, no, most fun makes sense, but we're speaking informally right now. And so, by the way, I, I'm fine
2: agreeing with that. But somebody weigh in on the spoiler thing. By the way, the spoiler debate we had last night. How many years is it until I can start talking about Game of Thrones? I'm really <laughs> interested to know. Until I can start talking about, it. like, can I talk about Ned Stark? Is that where, where did where do you cut? it off.
3: <laughs> ah, you see what I did there? <laughs> Alright. Anyway,
2: back to the Giants, back to this. Yeah, for Darnay Holmes, man, like, I don't think this says the Giants aren't confident in Darnay Holmes, but I do think this might say that the Giants aren't confident in Darnay Holmes playing press man coverage in
3: the slot. That might be what this says. It might be, to be honest. And I tweeted something about uh Darnay Holmes and like what exactly it means. And yeah. people were like, oh well it's just depth. And I'm like, no, I understand that, but you don't trade up to to acquire somebody without On day two. W- on day two, without the possibility of that person stealing somebody else's job. And you can only field eleven guys. And let's be honest, this secondary is pretty stacked right now. You can field three safeties at a time. You could roll that package out there if you want to with Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers, and Xavier McKinney. So some of these guys, their snap counts are going to be a hit. Oh yeah. And with the addition of Robinson, it looks like that's going to be Darnay Holmes. And then you look at some of these other guys in the roster, Sam Beal's probably definitely going to be cut. I would imagine and then Isaac Yadam I mean the fact that he took a pay cut may lead to him being that last cornerback who sticks on the roster but his roster spot's not safe by any means either
2: no Yitim, Beale Beal Beal disaster pick one of the worst decisions in Gettleman's uh regime so far he's gone I agree with you he's just he opted out last year and he's gonna try to come back and beat with this kind of talent on the roster no shot um but yeah Yadam's an interesting one and just in general, like to get all these guys on the field, it's going to be interesting to see because you know they're going to be playing insane amounts of nickel and dime defense next year. Just like that's oh, yeah. going to be their base defense by far, and that's great too because I would rather not see the. And I know these guys are not all on the team now, but I'd rather not see another season of the Devonte Downs and and Mayo types playing big roles on the defense. And I don't think we will. We'll see some snaps from Crowder. We may not see as many as you think from Crowder because if it's the, the if it's getting Crowder or Robinson on the field, there's going to be times they can feel comfortable, I think, getting Robinson. They're not the same player, obviously, and it's not going to be these early rundown situations. Yeah. But in certain spots... And maybe they feel they can put Jabril Peppers as well in that box and then get another kind of defensive back on the field, move McKinney to the deep safety role. There's a lot of options now in that secondary with so much talent there. So Still got Julian Love too. Still got Julian Love too. So like you said, like this is a good problem to have, a really yes. good problem to have. I wish we also had the same problem in the offensive line. That's where like the, the two positions where if I was building an NFL roster – obviously the first thing you got to do is make sure you got your quarterback. My other things is I would always want to have just this problem at corner, or and you can group safety in, but I'm going to say, fine, I'm going to say at defensive backs and on the offensive line. Those would be the two positions I always want to just keep adding talent and depth and competition to. And sometimes that means burying some guys. Like, Holmes may end up losing a big role this year. It's possible. We're not saying it's going to happen. It's possible. And that same thing could happen to somebody like Shane Lemieux or even Nick Gates, you know, or even Matt Parrott. But that's not a bad thing. What that means is you have competition and and the top talent is rising to the top. And it's really not at the expense of much, in my opinion, because, like, these edge guys like they giants proved last year they can generate pressure in weird ways as far as the receivers
3: go you can i think you can find talent in different spots there as well so no one i don't want to say worry that i have yeah. but something that has come up in my mind because we, we we do talk about how this defense has generated pressure in weird ways and that's totally true and i have all the faith in patrick graham but there is the one thing that was an outlier at least especially in the, his time as a New York Giant, and that is Leonard Williams getting 11 and a half sacks. Mm. Now, if that, 11 and a half sacks is a lot. He could easily progress. And if he, you cut that in half, it's still going to be a solid season relative to some of the other seasons that he's had. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had zero sacks with the Giants or half a sack with the Giants just a year prior. If that drops, man, that's going to be a huge dip. And you know how kind of wonky the sacks really are because they're not 2019 season how many times did leonard williams affect the play but never got credit for the sack so it's just one thing if he has a regressed year and the giants didn't look to invest in the edge position which they did with azizio jolari that's one thing that i kind of always had in the back of my mind that that could be a problem that may arise that's a great
2: point nick i think that's an excellent point And it's good news that they got to Azizo Jolari, who I think could step right in because it's a nice system fit for him and be a contributor as a pass rusher in the
3: sack department, in the pressure department right away. Because I just don't know what to rely on with Lorenzo Carter specifically. Because I like Lorenzo Carter's skill set. I think he can bend. And I think that a lot of people draw the comparison because Lorenzo Carter and Azizo Jolari are both from Georgia. And there there are a lot of similarities with their game. I don't think that's entirely unfair. Lorenzo Carter is a bit bigger. Uh, I want to say he's... Considerably I think taller, he has more edge bend too. I would say that he's a little bit more bendy. He also has the ability to convert speed to power, and he was raw coming out of Georgia. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's just a unique athlete. But I don't know what kind of athlete you're getting after an not Achilles after injury. An
2: Achilles, man, Achilles is really bad. I know That's... Achilles is the worst possible
3: one. Exactly. And then homeboy Oshane Zimenez, I mean, not what do he have that, that shoulder injury? And like you mm. barely saw him last year. He's still not that going one to I feel
2: against... better about injury wise. Injury
3: wise, but his big knock in 2019 was the fact that he yeah. couldn't hold up against the run and that's not something that may fly with patrick no 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 no
2: no no. and that's another reason i mean it was a massive need edge and they were so lucky i think and fortunate to be able to pair it with literally the perfect prospect for the system and a value at 50 like this is this is ease thing was just so perfect like yeah they could have. like honestly even if gettleman had got his way and let's say dickerson dropped to 42 or let's say he did really love banks and he got banks at 50 after trading back I think I'd still prefer this, honestly, because there was no other edge I had any almost any yeah. interest in after Aziz, like, at this spot. Like, I didn't like Asai. I didn't... I thought he was okay. I thought he had some upside. I didn't like Ronnie Perkins, and Ronnie Perkins ends up going 97 overall, so yeah. no one in the NFL liked Ronnie Perkins. Like, he dropped literally... 40 more picks after Aziz Ojolair. This was it. Like, if they didn't get him, we were going to be relying on Lorenzo Carter. We were going to be relying... After the Achilles, we were going to be relying on Shane Eximinen, so you said you don't feel comfortable against the run. Going to be relying on Carter Coughlin, O'Donogbo, o- or... I never could get that right. O'Donogbo, yeah. Adenabo. Ryan Anderson, who has no pass rushing skills. Like, this was huge for the Giants.
3: Huge, and I couldn't agree more, but I, when I look at Odenabo, I think that's a good I do I think like that, him I, I think that's yeah. a good addition. And with Ryan Anderson, I, I, think, really like him. I think Ryan Anderson's a good early down addition sure, to this team, yes. He'll Which play a role as well. Just setting the edge. Don't expect him to get sacks unless it's like, oh, wow, the stunt where everybody followed Leonard Williams, and he just loops <laughs> yeah. around and gets the sack. You know, Which, <laughs> you get those sacks. And oh, like, you get those you sacks. You see the celebration and everything, and everybody's like, oh, wow, we got a sack, he's so good it's like dude yeah. I could have got that sack so. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: I believe you said this reminds me of the time you said your mom could catch passes better than Evan Ingram right yeah she probably could yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the continued railing on of Evan Ingram
3: I actually I felt like I was like a giant Fan or somebody who covers the Giants who was late to the party on railing on Evan Ingram.
2: <laughs> I I'm still late. I'm still not there. I, like I don't really enjoy the railing on Evan Ingram thing. When they did that video of him at the end of the oh, season, Oh, no, I thought that was. disgraceful. I thought that was. Stupid. But I think
3: little jabs on podcasts about no, the no, guy we're guy fine doing catch. it here. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm fine. Oh, with this that. is
2: totally different. I'm, but just Although like that video was rude. That, that was rude. It was a rude video. Didn't like it. One final thing before we move on to some day three targets of Nick and I's. I do want to say this. I keep seeing on Twitter from those who are in the camp of the Giants offensive line is going to be just fine. There's nothing to worry about. They always talk about the offensive line will be much improved because the coaching and the development. This, to me, seemingly ignores, Nick, that literally every single team in the NFL is going to have coaching and development with their offensive lines. This is not unique to the Giants. The Giants are not the only team that is developing their offensive (laughs) linemen and that coach... like. Every team has that this offseason. The Giants, this is not some secret sauce the Giants have with their development. Like, we have some faith in Rob Sale, of course, but like Rob Sale is nowhere near going to be the best offensive line coach in 2021. Let's be quite clear and obvious. Like Mike Munchak came into that Broncos program and turned Garrett Bowles, who was literally a bust before last season, into a guy who they paid to be one of the highest offensive linemen. He literally fixed Garrett yeah, Bowles. Yeah. Munchak was that good, and I talked— so much about how the Giants should have just thrown the bag at Mike Munchak when he was freed up by the Steelers. Chuck the bag. Pay him anything he wants. They're rare. But like, just to say like, oh, coaching and development. Every team has
3: that. Yeah. No, every every team does have that. And I do believe a lot of people just look at Rob Sale and they're and they hope that the stability of actually having an offensive line coach that's not going to try to fight the head coach, and then you <laughs> bring in Googs just to kind of ride his time out as a stopgap. Yeah. Just having a stability in the position will help the offensive line and help the development. And the fact that they're just young players as well. But again, it might like it could be just coaching hubris. You know, it could be just hey man, our coaches are going to figure this out. It's like yeah, but you need the players to be able to be capable to actually be starters in the nfl that are above average that's what we're going for here we're not going for mediocre we're not going for adequate we're going for above average and they have a lot of ground to cover because they were 31st last year in many metrics
2: yep and and i think we don't need to go over this but i think everyone agrees no matter who they added kenny galladay Kadarius tony saquon barkley if they stay healthy evan ingram a year removed from that liz frank surgery None of it matters if you can't block. None of it. It just doesn't matter. The Chiefs are the prime example of that. We watched it in the Super Bowl. They had all their skill guys healthy. They had Patrick Mahomes. Dan Jones, they had Patrick Mahomes. No offense. Not even close. And it didn't matter. They couldn't move the ball because their offensive line was a bunch of scrubs due to injuries and guys who weren't performing. So we know what it is. I don't think we need to hammer it home. Let's talk about day three targets here, Nick. Start with some of your favorite Day 3 targets.
3: All right, so one of my favorite Day 3 targets, and I'm not sure if the Giants should go in this direction, especially after I've just gushed for the last hour about the interior (laughs) offensive line. So keep that in mind, but the player shouldn't be available on Day 3, and that's North Carolina's Michael Carter. He's a running back. Everybody talks about Javante Williams, but Michael Carter was the change of pace back there who is absolutely excellent, went down to the senior bowl, which you know Dave Gettleman and his coaching staff loved, and just showed so much explosiveness, burst, vision, is a weapon out of the backfield as a pass catcher. Pass blocking isn't really his thing. That was Javante Williams' thing down at UNC. But man, this guy is really, really exciting. And I honestly think he would be an excellent change of pace back for the New York Giants. I don't think it's in the cards for the Giants to look and invest in that position. I don't think they'll go in that direction. Nor do I really think they necessarily should if guys like Trey Smith and some of these other guys we're going to talk about are around. But man, dude, adding a change of pace back like him would be pretty damn fun. because. Devontae Booker, I don't necessarily view him as a change of pace back. I think he's going to get his series every now and again, but he's more of a huge insurance policy for Saquon Barkley that can play special teams. Michael Carter's a totally different player than him. Nick, I think
2: we're taking our third right turn in nascar then because yeah that's right dan schneier is saying that i would be on board with this pick i think michael carter is arguably the best value on the board remaining i loved watching his film i think he's explosive i think he's an excellent play i would not be opposed to the giants drafting it's crazy right but but think about this where do you find the best values the guys who make you you build who give you the roster that has the advantage at the running back position it is this range alvin Kamara. I mean, it's a little bit earlier. It's Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook. But I honestly feel like this guy should have been a third-round pick or a second-round pick, honestly, when you watch him. And here's the the hidden thing that no one's going to talk about. But it does give you leverage. If you draft Michael Carter and he's super explosive and hits the ground running and looks great in Garrett's system and they start to use some jet sweep motion, the offensive line miracles its way into an above-average offensive line. Everyone takes that progression and coaching development as we're so, so... But if he shows out in year one, you have leverage with Saquon Barkley in contract talks. And quite honestly, Nick, you the best play at that point would be if he breaks out, Michael Carter, if he's drafted by the Giants and he breaks out in year one and shows signs of being a potential, like really difference making back. Your best play honestly is to trade Saquon Barkley. I'm gonna come out and say it because it's the damn truth. And I hate the people people I don't hate you. You wanna disagree with it, fine but you're not going to get me on board with you. If Michael Carter shows out in year 1, you can get him under contract for four straight years at 100,000, 100 against 1000 against the cap instead of paying Saquon Barkley 20 million dollars a year, let's say it's 18 million a year for Barkley. It's going to be more than McCaffrey. So let's say it's 18 million a year. You gotta make that move and you trade Barkley after the after the bounce back and you get a third round pick or a fourth. You're not gonna get much for a running back, but like you take a third or fourth round pick or whatever it would be for Barkley in my mind at least. And now you have Michael Carter. So like honestly, I am intrigued by it for all those reasons. I don't know if the Giants ever walk down that path where they're gonna trade Barkley. I think ultimately yeah, I think so. we have to accept the fact that the Giants are gonna have to work with That caveat. They're gonna have to work with. They're gonna be one of those teams that's paying eighteen million dollars in cap space to a running back, and hopefully he can stay healthy. Because if he doesn't, you get another Todd Gurley, where you just destroy your cap with a Gurley. You cut him one year. It's that deal. Or you get the Zeke situation, which the Cowboys are not thrilled about either, where they couldn't re-sign some of their guys because they're dumping all this money to Zeke, and yet you watch the Cowboys games and the third or fourth—what they get Pollard in the fourth round?
3: Uh, something like that. Fourth been third. round, yeah.
2: Pollard is outplaying and outproducing Duke and looks—I'm uh, sorry, Zeke, and looks better on the field than Zeke. Now, Zeke was playing Hurt last year. That could have played into it. Zeke's a better player still. But honestly— you got that situation. And Michael Carter, by the way, reminds me in some ways of Tony Pollard. He has I can see a that. lot of that same kind of juice and explosion. So I'm going to be out there. I'm honest with you guys on this podcast. I'm never holding back. I'm never catering to the to the pressure from the fans. That, to me, would be an interesting route. You draft a Michael Carter. He breaks out. You trade Barkley. You have Carter on contract for four years. You don't waste that $18 in cap space a year to the running back, to a guy who's already had two major injuries. And you build your franchise in a forward-thinking way without dumping all that cap into a running back. So... I'm open to it.
3: Dan, you know the meme where it's like four separate pictures, and like it's Vince McMahon and like he, he's sitting in the chair and he's like looking at the girl or something like that and they're in the ring and then like each pitcher, <laughs> his face gets progressively more excited. Like I, I honestly feel like when I brought up, yeah, we should draft Michael Carter. could be good change of pace back. That's like the first one to be like, yeah, you know, he could possibly, you know, help Saquon Barkley. And then at the end, it's like, yeah, we're going to draft him and then we're going to trade Saquon yeah. Barkley and he's going to replace him and we're going to have all the leverage. That's the last yeah. one where he's falling out of the chair yeah. in the ring. That's exactly, right. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's like a long-term like, it's, Devious plan. It, it is a long term thing, and I love Saquon Barkley, but I'm, I don't think I'm ever. I love be him on, as a person. Yeah, I love him as a player too, but I don't think I'll ever be on board of allocating that much of your cap to the running back position, Thank you. especially. Well, that's not even like a hot take though. That's just not why. Apparently, it is. I, I don't think it's According why. According to yeah. Giants Twitter, it's somehow a hot take. You're gonna still have to pay Daniel Jones, you hope <laughs> that the crazy. Giants draft well enough to where they're gonna have to worry about paying a lot of these other guys. Because let's be honest about the Giants. I know we're running really long right now. We'll get yeah. into a couple more guys. Yeah, yeah. Let's be honest about the giants damn we they've been so terrible at drafting over the last 10 years they, they, the last 15 years they haven't been able to they haven't signed any of their guys to a second contract yeah. we want that to change normal teams sign their guys to second contrast yes. a lot of the time so <laughs> really hope that changes but let's dive into some of these other guys let's just focus on the thing that i think you and i are both probably if we had to pick a position we want them to invest in and that's offensive guard and my first guy would be trey smith look they were talking about trey smith as a late round one early round two guy and i would never be on board with that because i see a lot of balance issues but you want to talk about somebody who's strong somebody who fits in the power and gap someone who does a great job just exploding through his hips and driving through targets in the run game with really really powerful hands that's trey smith now, he's not the most fleet of foot. He's a little bit slow footed, but you're getting this guy in the fourth round. He has some blood clot issues. Former five star, too, right? Yeah, he was the first overall recruit, I want to say, by a lot of people's metrics over Jalen Phillips, but some of the other ones said Jalen Phillips was the first one because it was in that 2017 recruiting cycle. Jalen Phillips ends up going to UCLA. He ends up going to Tennessee. Everyone's like, why the hell are you going to Tennessee? What the he's saying first,
2: that? And you're talking about first overall at any position, not just interior yeah, offensive yeah, line. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. I believe that a lot of, I think 247 might have had him as that. 247. Yeah. Yeah, two four seven. I always say two four seven. It's such a weird quirk of mine. But another thing about Trey Smith that I love is that Jeremy Pruitt was his head coach. So Jeremy Pruitt knows him, yes. he knows his work ethic, he knows his character, and if all that stuff checks out, another senior bowl guy, then he could end up being a giant. And I think that he could probably compete and steal one of those jobs still, even though he's a fourth round pick.
2: Yeah, I love that call. And then a couple other guards that we have highlighted here, Deontay Brown from Alabama, guy who played a lot of games for that team last year, national championship team. How do you feel about him?
3: Deontay Brown, uh, more immobile than Trey Smith, <laughs> to be honest, okay. more slow-footed than Trey Smith. Not a great time. <laughs> no, no. has that neck roll, just a, just a stout. He has love that it. neck roll. I love the neck roll. Uh, I, I lo- agree with you Big on neck roll guy. When I see the
2: neck roll, I know. It's actually right. But he's, I like that take.
3: He's very big. He's very powerful. He's very lumbering. He's not yeah. someone you're going to really want to be pulling all that often. But on, on the play side, like we talk about sometimes, he can move bodies just because of the ma- pure mass that he has
2: when i hear lumbering though and like when i hear that about the feet mm-hmm. i think of like what i saw shane lemieux struggle with so much in pass coverage last and i'm sorry in pass protection last year and so like i just don't i don't know if i like that well but i guess it's fourth round
3: now, shane lemieux is more athletic than Deontay no no Gramp, he's definitely more
2: athletic yeah. i just the, the 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 feet and getting into your stance just i yeah. don't
3: know honestly i like the next guy we have high highlighted okay. david, david moore, moore yeah. from grambling he's somebody who went down to the senior bowl and man i really love his grip strength dude he was able to really limit the space of a lot of those defensive tackles and this is somebody who didn't play in 2020 because he went to Gramlin. and he he went down there similar to what we talk about quinn Miners, and he played really well and showed up played some center played some guard and did a really good job with his hands i think his his feet could still use a little bit work but that's going to come with coaching and development but i think that's an interesting (laughs) guy to look at in day three and somebody to add to this interior offensive line room
2: okay cool I mean here's my number one target for this day and it's not a position that everyone thinks is a crazy need I want Jabril Cox the athletic linebacker out of LSU I feel like Cox is a player who shouldn't be on the board right now I don't really understand why he is and maybe it's because it's kind of like the Jeremiah Owusu Karamoa thing who I also didn't understand why he fell because maybe it's a tweener the size issues nobody really knows the position but adding athleticism to that second level has still been something that I've been interested in doing we wanted it last draft with the kid who the Bengals took um Getting his name from appalachian state
3: oh Akeem akeem
2: davis gaither we wanted it there we didn't get it there and i think they can get something similar it's not they're not the same player but something similar out of cox and he's in my opinion the best overall value on the board so he would be my number one guy here i agree with you on those linemen they're way high up on my list um who's a few other guys you like on day three
3: maybe other positions or just players you feel are good values I think a good value is Tylen Wallace, but I'm not going to really talk much about him because the Giants went with Kadarius Toney. But really, for me, it's a lot of those interior offensive linemen that I'm really, really interested in. We still have Brevin Jordan on the board. Not overly interested in him right now because I'm looking for more of a blocking Mm -hmm. tight end. Maybe in the sixth round, they go with a kid out of Boise State, Johnny Bates, who is more of the blocking type of tight end, somebody that I'm a little bit more interested in. Some of these running backs, Oklahoma's Ramondre Stevenson, Khalil Herbert from Virginia Tech, I think are interesting options to possibly add on day three as well. And then big old Tyler Shelvin, man. We talked about him on the Mm -hmm. podcast, just a mountain of a man sitting in the middle of defenses weighs almost like 360 pounds opted out of 2020 played at LSU on that national championship team and is just a movable object in the center of defenses would be a good replacement for Dalvin Tomlinson that's somebody that I would really pay attention to and it just screams Dave Gettleman to be honest
2: yeah for sure and I think there's a few interesting edges that you that you highlighted especially one that I wanted to get your take on Uh, Ellerson Smith from Northern Iowa.
3: Yeah, Ellerson Smith, man, didn't play in 2020 because he went to Northern Iowa, but went down to the Senior Bowl, dude, and really showed really, really impressive stuff in team drills and in individual drills, caught a lot of people's eyes, and then he goes and tests at the pro day just absolutely ridiculously like a freak. Now, he's more of the edge defensive lineman, rather than the edge linebacker i think the giants are looking for more edge mm. linebacker type of guys sure. which kind of jordan smith from uab chris Rump the second from duke those guys fall into that category and those are two names that i would pay attention to if the giants are still looking to add those defenders but they added plenty of them last year because right. carter coughlin and cam brown fall into those categories yeah
2: no doubt about it all right that are those are all our day three targets hopefully they land at least one of them that'll be fun they landed one today one of our our number one target was Aziz Ojalari. Both of our number one targets. So good day for that. Uh, obviously, we didn't see Aaron Robinson coming, but that was a fun surprise, I think, for me. So thanks again to everybody tuning in to the Big Blue Banter podcast. As always, if you want to help us grow, if you like this podcast, if you enjoy it, and you say, "Hey, I think it's a good podcast," I want it to grow. I want them to do even more things and produce more content and you know extend to other places. Well, you can help us out by heading over to iTunes. Download every podcast. Make sure you hit the download button. Subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. Then hit that review button. Go give a five-star review to us on iTunes. And if you ask a question in review, we will answer it on a podcast. So if you have any questions for the podcast, you want to chop it up with us, talk anything, talk about how Nick won't eat pizza, talk about <laughs> how uh, Nick doesn't like spoilers and shows, talk about how somehow I escape all of these these topics of conversation, and the spotlight's always on Nick, so he needs to do a better job putting on me. Anything you want, put it in <laughs> those those iTunes reviews. Also, please follow us on Instagram, NY Big Blue Banter. That's NY Big Blue Banter on Instagram. And as always, we just created a YouTube page. It's still in its early stages, but help us get that off the ground. Go to YouTube, type in Big Blue Banter, look for our logo and hit subscribe to that YouTube channel and then hit like on a couple videos. Check them out. Also, lastly, every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, we will do a live Q&A show on Locker Room Apps. If you do want to chop it up with us in kind of a live Q&A radio show type format, Head over there. You'll find us there. Otherwise, have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you tomorrow, day three of the NFL Draft.
3: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on.